0: Lonely song, the song's for you. So this morning, I would like to talk to you about two tummies. This isn't about tummy tucks or back problems that we get from hauling watermelon-sized lumps over our waistlines. It's a little more esoteric than that. But like a parable, it helps to have something visual that can point us to the invisible. You know that a parable can be taken on two levels. The literal level, the outer level. We can take it at that level, and it can stay there. And we never have to get any more from it. And it can wait until maybe someday the person is ready for that seed that was planted in the outer to kind of be pushed down into the inner where it can germinate and begin to grow. And that would be the inner meaning of a parable, the esoteric meaning of a parable. Parables seem very innocuous and they can seem very nice too. But some of them are absolutely incomprehensible. We just can't make sense of them but some of them seem like they make perfect sense, and so we think we got it because we understand it at this outer level. But what we don't realize is that there's still an inner meaning. Even if we think we understand the outer meaning, there is still a higher meaning, an inner meaning, an esoteric meaning, a more spiritual, more psychological meaning that we often miss when we focus just on the outer. That's what this is about. It's about our two tummies, the one that hangs over the belt because of the food we eat and the one that causes us untold misery and tortures others. Okay, well, that really doesn't tell us much yet, does it? So what is this other tummy that causes us untold misery and tortures others? Especially we want to know about the tortures others part because we know some others that really need to be tortured, don't we? And we spend a lot of time thinking about how to do that. Well, we don't call it torture. We call it teach them a lesson. We call it put them in their place. Or we call it show them what they're like. Or we call it they should have a taste of their own medicine. But actually, the truth is, it's really torture. We want to somehow hurt them until they change their behavior and do what we want them to do. We lie about it all the time, but it's what we want. The problem is, is we don't know we want that. We think that we're these wonderful people who, every time we open our mouths, little marshmallows and butterflies and rainbows and candy canes fly out. Oh, we're just so sweet and wonderful all the time. The story that Connie told about the Moonlight Amphitheater was a perfect example. Some guy screaming at some woman and saying, I'm asking you nicely, while he was screaming at her. He actually thought he was asking her nicely. Because he had a picture of himself as this nice, friendly, jovial guy. And when he lost it, he lost it completely. But he couldn't see it. Because he couldn't see that he was anything other than this nice, happy, generous, jovial, friendly guy. And so while he's screaming at her, he's telling her how nice he's being. And it's like, the irony of that is just too funny. But if you'll think about it, you see it everywhere in life. And if you look in the mirror, you won't have to see it in life anymore. You can see it in yourself. Maybe not at the Moonlight Amphitheater, but you can see it in yourself. For example, some people, they point their rearview mirror down and take a look at their faces when they're driving in rush hour traffic. They can see it there. Other people see it when they're talking to their kids. Other people see it when they're talking to their spouse. Other people can see it when the dog wants to go (laughs) in and out 18 times in five minutes. It just depends. There's a place for it, and we always miss the place for it. We fail to see it in ourselves. We see it in others very well. We don't see it in ourselves. It's so funny. I was preparing the notes for this talk on Thursday, and it was around lunchtime, and I was still working on it. And so I went out to the kitchen, and on the stove was some soup that Connie had made. So I took the lid off, smelled the soup, smelled good, tasted the soup, tasted good. So I turned on the burner to heat it up and went back to work. And then I smelled the soup in the kitchen. I, oh man, (laughs) jumped up. I ran back out there and it was boiling. I mean, really boiling. So I added some water because a lot of the liquid had boiled off. So I added some water and cooled it down and got a bowl of this soup and took it back to my desk while I was working. And I ate it, which I know I shouldn't do. I'm bad and wrong. I shouldn't eat and work, but I did. So you can just put the that mark against me too. Do you know that he actually eats while he works? (laughs) Yes, I do a lot of things. I don't always practice what I preach. I must admit that. Sometimes I forget. I tell you to be conscious. And when you've got something on the stove, be mindful of it. Don't let it boil over. And sure enough, I let it boil over. So what can I say? I'm not perfect. I'm sorry, but that's the truth of it. And there it is. So now that that's out, we can get on with life here. So I ate the soup. Within a half an hour, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, I started to sweat. And I thought, is it really that hot in here? Why did it get hot in here all of a sudden? And then I started to feel not so good. I started to feel a little queasy, nauseous. And I got up, and I thought, oh, you know, I think I'm going to throw up. And I went into the bathroom. You know, I prepared the bathroom, lifted the toilet seat, and did all of the things that you do, you know, when you feel like you're going to throw up. And then I thought about it and I thought, boy, you know, I really don't want to. I don't like to throw up. You know, I don't like it because I don't like it when it comes out your nose. And I don't like the taste. And I don't like I don't like anything about it, really. It's just it's an awful feeling. It's a lot like feeling like you're going to die. This dread comes over your body. It's not really a mental dread so much because mentally you think it would feel so much better to get on the other side of this. But your body has this like, no, it's just in dread about this. And so here's my body dreading it and my mind saying, I wish I could make this happen. So I assumed the position and I, you know, and nothing. I went, oh, okay. So I went in and I drank some water with lemon juice in it, good bit of it. And I went back and kind of walked around a little bit, you know, waiting. And I'm still sweating and still feeling not so good. And then finally I did. I threw up and it was everything. I mean, everything that was in my stomach was emptied out. And the whole time I'm going, you know, thanks, God. This is so wonderful. Now, I know this is weird. It's a weird story. Maybe a little gross, but it's a weird story. But it's true. And I thought, this is great because I am getting this out of me before it can damage me. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for this body that works this way. I'm grateful because some people don't do that. I remember when Steve got food poisoning. Man, oh, man, that thing stayed in him all that day. The whole day, the whole night. And then when it hit him, it hit him so hard. It was like, this was just one simple, not even five minutes, it was over. I remember Steve, it was like all night. And I was so grateful that it was gone like that within a half an hour, in and out. Now, if I put bad food in my tummy, I can throw it out. And I remember there's this really interesting story in esoteric writings about this. It's in Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. I'd like to read it to you. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand. This is an incredible commandment, hear and understand. How do you tell people to hear and understand? People can't hear and understand. He says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. But there are not many people with ears to hear, not really. So what we need to take from this is, be aware, wake up, pay attention, try and hear what I'm saying, and try to understand it. And he says, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Well, I suspect he knew. But it was nice of the disciples to come and remind him of that. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. You know, the thing about Jesus is that he comes back with these non-sequiturs. And it's like, what on earth? You know, it's like, hey, Pat, how are you this morning? The roses have thorns. You know, that (laughs) seems like a non-sequitur. For normally, in an outer way, you know, it just doesn't seem like it follows, does it? But she may be telling us something. She may be saying, hear and understand. The roses have thorns. You want to know how I am? The roses have thorns. I may look good, but beware. Because I have thorns. And if you get too close, I could hurt you. And would that be the truth? Well, yes, it would be the truth, wouldn't it? Would it be the truth about all of us? Yes, except some of us don't look as good. We just have more thorns. So he says then to his disciples about the Pharisees let them alone. They're blind guides of the blind. And if the blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Again, this is difficult to put together with, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. We may understand better when we realize what he had said before this. He was talking about the tradition and the commandment. And the story goes, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Well, why did Jesus break the tradition of the elders? Why does anyone break the tradition of the elders? Don't you know that's a no-no? You can't do that for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So this was what they were bagging on his disciples about. They found something. They don't wash their hands before they eat bread. My thing was I let the soup boil and I tell people not to do that. I tell people to be conscious and to be mindful and I don't do that myself. Right, so this is what you've got against me. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. So now you see, he's talking about, okay, the disciples had ate bread without washing their hands, and he says, Look, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. And then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Well, let me tell you about Pharisees. They're offended at everything. They're looking for offense. They're thieves when it comes to offense. They won't just take the fence, they'll take the gate and everything that goes with it. They'll pull it up out of the ground. They'll take the posts, they'll take everything. They delight in offense. It's always the little ones who are offended. What does little ones mean? We're not talking about children. Children are not that offendable. Think about it. But adults are. Adults can get offended at a look. Adults can get offended at a sneer. Is that a, a laugh or a sneer of derision? We want to know whether we should get offended or not. I need to know whether I should be offended or not. I'm primed and cocked and ready to be offended, so are you giving me an opportunity to be offended? Yes, it's an opportunity to be offended. Okay, I'm offended. You worthless piece of garbage, how dare you talk to me that way and sneer at me and blah, 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 blah. We're just ready for it. So after the disciples said, well, they're offended. He says, well, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be uprooted. That's a big offense, isn't it? To be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind guides of the blind. And if the blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter then says to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Well, the answer to that is obvious. Yes. And so am I. I am still lagging in understanding. How much is enough? There isn't enough. I always need to understand more. I'm not one of those people who understands everything. I'm one of those people who continually tries to find more depth, more meaning. I'm one of those people who is going to wring it out and get blood from a stone. I'm one of those people who thinks there's more to it than I can see right now. And that if I can raise my consciousness, if I can become more aware, and if I can lift my level of being, or if I can have my level of being lifted by raising my consciousness, then I could understand more. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Do you have any idea what a slanderer you are? You slander yourself, you slander everybody in your life. Then you need to observe yourself if you don't see it. You need to observe yourself. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. That's the story that I wanted to read to you. We must understand how to select what we put into our mouths to live a quality life. Look, I'm not worried about how long people live. But if you're going to live, wouldn't it be nice to have a quality of life that is sustainable, that is, that is reasonably healthy? Wouldn't it be nice if you're going to live till you're 80 years old to be healthy right up until the time you check out? It would be nice. It's not going to happen for most people, not most people in America, but it would be nice... And we also have to understand that if we select our food properly, that will help us to have a better quality of life. Now, that's just an outer thing, but that's not really that important. More importantly, we must wisely select what we put into our psychological tummy. Impressions are food, and the mind is a stomach. Morris Nichols said, Unfortunately, when immersed in life and worked by it, we feed on negative impressions freely. We gorge ourselves on negative impressions. It's the example I gave you. Was that a sneer or a smile or whatever? What was that? It was primed for taking in negative impressions. Here I am. I have a choice. Now I want to know, what did you mean? Did you mean that negatively or did you mean that positively? Because if you meant it negatively, I'm hungry. I'm really hungry. So feed me, Seymour. That's really what we're saying. You ask someone, how did you mean that? What does it matter how they meant it? Why don't you decide how to take it? Isn't that really what's up to you? What do you care how they meant it? What's more important is how are you going to take it? A negative psychology is installed as standard equipment in the false personality by life's factory. It's what's under the hood of imaginary eye. You pop the hood on imaginary eye, and what you'll find is a negative psychology that's been installed in false personality by life. Life is a factory, and it pumps out negative false personalities. It pumps out fake people, lies, fictions, facades. And if you look at a person, what you'll see is an imaginary person, imaginary eye. The person imagined that they have one single permanent eye, that it's always the same. Like the guy at the Moonlight Amphitheater who went and leaned over a couple of people and screamed and yelled at this girl for using her phone to take a picture when the announcer said, don't take any pictures. Didn't you hear what the announcer said? I'm telling you nicely. And started cussing at her. I'm telling you nicely while he's cussing at her and screaming at her in front of what? hundred people he had this picture of himself this imaginary eye that he would never do anything like that what he was doing was nice was kind was a service to everybody there all the other people who were not disturbed by this little glow from her phone as she took the picture it was not a flash picture all the people who were not disturbed were suddenly disturbed by this guy screaming and yelling and cussing at this girl nicely of course i'm telling you nicely why because he has an imaginary eye Because he has no idea, no concept whatsoever, that that I that screamed and yelled and cussed at that girl lives in him. No idea. He thinks he's this imaginary person who's always happy and always wonderful and always helpful and always cheerful. And here he's helping everybody in the whole Moonlight Amphitheater. And the girl, too. And he was doing it so selflessly because he really wasn't bothered at all. He wasn't negative. He was just screaming and yelling so that everybody else in the world who had a phone and was thinking about using it could remember what the announcer said. Turn your phones off. Unless through the hard internal work of self-observation we try to escape from this negative psychology, we tend to listen with pleasure to unpleasant things. Just think about this for a moment. Just process for a moment. Think about how much you like to listen to unpleasant things. Oh, not about yourself. No, 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 that's not what I meant. No, I mean about other people. For example, think about how much better it is to listen to this unpleasant thing about this guy at the Moonlight Amphitheater than it is to listen to what you do. Until this past year, I wouldn't have believed people were so eager to pick out disagreeable things they've heard and read and communicate them to others so thoughtlessly. But my eyes have been opened. I have read things and heard things, and I would think, no one would believe that. And I've seen people go absolutely crazy because they they believed it. And I thought, what is going on here? How come people can't see this? How come they can't select out of this and say, but there's no foundation of truth in that. That's just some anonymous person saying something. You don't have any idea if it's true. You don't even know if such a person that they're talking about even exists. You don't know who it is that's talking. I remember when I I had a ham radio license. Anybody could get on the radio. And because you can't see their face, and you didn't know where they lived, you didn't know really anything about them, they could say anything they wanted. Anything. And I remember listening to people, and other people would be upset by what someone was saying. And I thought, why would you be upset? You don't even know who this person is. You have no idea if they are who they say they are no idea at all and then you have no idea of what they're saying means anything at all if there's any truth to it at all they could be fabricated they could be reading out of a fiction book out of a science fiction book for all you know and just putting people's names in there you have no idea and yet people were getting negative about it and then other people were jumping on the bandwagon yeah that's right that's the way that person is and it became this feeding frenzy where people would all gang up on someone Because someone had stirred the pot and started to say things that no one had a clue if they were true or not. I wouldn't have believed it, but now I believe it. The reality of the human condition has been brought home to me like a series of hammer blows, forcing me to reevaluate myself, this work, and people who say they're in it. I used to think it was just like, was well, just like the churches, you know, in Christianity. You have all these people who say they're Christians. And I just used to love to go into a store and you would see the guy would just plaster a wall with bounce checks. And it was amazing to me how many of them had a Christian fish symbol on the check. And I thought, what? Are Christians the only people in the world who can write bad checks? Come on. Maybe they're the only ones who advertise. I don't know. You don't see the Star of David on checks. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You don't see Mohammed's picture on checks bad checks. I-, I don't know. But it was just amazing to me. And I was, th- I was think, wow, that's just incredible. You know, if I'm going to write bad checks, I don't think I'd be putting a... Unless, of course, you think, well, you know, if I put this Christian fish on my checks, maybe this will make them think that I'm a good person. And so maybe that's why they do it. Maybe maybe the only people who go around forging checks and, ba- and bouncing bad checks are people who are really not Christians, but say they are. But then how many Christians have you known who were really not Christians, but said they were? Well, okay, how many of you have said you were a Christian and you aren't? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah, okay. So we're not going to get a big answer on that. But I can tell by the look on your face that there's always a tender nerve behind the bullseye, isn't there? So I could tell by the wince on your face, by the grim look on your face that, yeah, you had the audacity to say you were a Christian, and you're not. The tragedy is that people with negative psychological tummies do themselves serious injury that's long-lasting and far-reaching. It doesn't bother me so much what people say. People say bad things about everybody. Everybody in the world. Everybody in the world, somebody says something bad about them. That's the way we are. We're backstabbers. We're gossips. That's the way people are. Of course, people don't know that. They're like the guy at the Moonlight Amphitheater who tells people nicely by screaming at them and cussing at them. We're like that. We don't know that we're gossips. We don't know that we carry tales. We don't know that we pass on information that we really don't know anything about. We don't know, we don't see that when we're doing it. The sad part is that, and it really is a tragedy, is that the people who are doing it are doing themselves harm. They're rotting their own souls. They're rotting their own minds. They're poisoning themselves by poisoning their internal tummy, their psychological tummy, by putting bad impressions in there. And then what they do is they share those bad impressions with other people. And other people who have no ability to select properly, who have no discrimination, they gobble it up like pigs at a trough. No matter how often they're told, they still do not understand the cost of feeding on pig slop because that's what it is. They wallow proudly in negative emotions and justify it with anything at hand. The mind is a tummy. What are you going to feed it? We are less discriminate about what we feed the mind than what we feed our physical stomach. And what we feed our physical stomach is depressing. You look at what we eat and it's like really scary. We'll eat anything. We'll go to the store and buy something, not read the ingredients. Patter Rex last night at dinner they were telling me about they're trying to make this tomato that is cold resistant. So they are taking cells from a cold water fish and genetically altering the tomato, hoping that the tomato will then be cold resistant because of the cells from a cold water fish. Those cells will mutate, and I don't know what will happen. But what scientists have finally discovered is that by doing this, by taking these cells and genetically altering things, that under different circumstances and in different areas, the cells mutate in different ways. Now, there's something else that does that, cells that mutate in different ways, that they can't get a lock on it because it keeps on mutating different ways. It's called HIV, the HIV virus. And now what we're doing is we're making our food like that. It's scary and it's science fiction, but it's real and it's happening and no one is paying any attention or hardly anyone is paying any attention. You don't know what you're eating. You have no idea where that corn came from. And if it's got a goat's eyeball in it or cat's tail, you don't know because no one's telling you it's not on the label. Genetically modified food is real. It's available now and it has been available for a long time. Genetically modified seed is a big business with Monsanto, one of the largest producers of poison on the planet. And people who try to use seed that is not Monsanto are being discriminated against and tormented and taken to court by Monsanto, who of course is one of the biggest corporations in the world and can afford to grind them up and spit them out and keep them poor with lawyers hounding them 24 seven. They can drive them out of business and then buy up their farms, which is exactly what they're doing. But what do we do about that? What do we know about it? That's not true. That that can't be true. Research it. Don't take my word for it. Research it. Verify it yourself. It's a matter of public record. If you want to know, you can find out. But the truth is, you don't really care. And that's why people don't find out the truth, because they're not willing to make the effort. We just gobble it up. We've got to be taught. We've got to learn to select what we take in from what we hear and see. Not just gobble down everything life offers like pigs at a trough. Some of us fill our psychological tummies with scandals about one thing or another. Hardly matters what it is. What does it matter whether you eat a bad taco or a bad tomato? What does it matter? What does it matter if you eat bad processed food or bad organic food? What does it matter if it's spoiled? You will still get sick. And what happens? They end up with sour mental stomachs, which they readily blame on others. It's never their fault. It's never their fault that they're negative. Have you noticed that? It's never your fault that you're negative. Somebody else always made you negative. Somebody else always did it to you. Even if it goes as far as, well, someone else controlled me, my mind. They controlled my mind. It wasn't my fault. It's a very subtle mind-control technique that they used. But it wasn't my fault. No, all these things that I'm saying, well, I'm just saying that because they made me hate them. Okay, that's great. But the truth is, you still have a negative psychology. Develop the power of discrimination regarding the food of impressions. This is what the work teaches. Clear as a bell. Develop the power of discrimination regarding the food of impressions. Learn to pick out reasonable things from what you see and hear. But we believe the most outlandish things. Well, I would be a doctor today, but Steve's dog ate my homework, and I didn't graduate. That's what happened. It was Steve's fault because he let that damn dog eat my homework. Well, that's not reasonable, is it? So we'll reject that. Well, you'll reject it because, you know, Steve doesn't even have a dog. But nobody else knows that. Reject unpleasant things. Just reject unpleasant things. What was the example I gave you this morning? Someone sneered or smirked or whatever. And was that a sneer of derision? Yes, it was. Then do what Buddha did. Then you can keep it. I don't want it. I will not accept that gift. That is how to handle it. Do not accept the gift of poison. No matter how sweetly or deliciously it's wrapped. Don't eat it. Don't take in the impression. Refuse it. Do not accept it. Be selective. Do not accept unpleasant things. Reject them. Reject dubious things. Reject that which comes from the anonymous. Reject that which you read in the papers. Reject, (laughs) I mean, hello, you go to what, scandal sheets, and that's where you get your information? This is not men in black. Don't do that. Reject it. Stay away from the newsstand. When you go to check out at the grocery store, turn the other way. You don't have to look at those pictures. Two-headed baby born to actress, blah, 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 because she mated with an alien. Come on, people. That kind of salacious, scandalous stuff is tasty to you because you had a steady diet of it your whole life. But you need to learn to pick out reasonable things from what you see and hear and reject unpleasant things, reject dubious things. It's your internal tummy that you're feeding. It's you and your psychology that it will poison I've looked on helplessly while people made themselves psychologically ill by gobbling down every nasty shred of filth they were able to find. And it's sad. It's like watching your children do things that you know are going to cost them. I talked to a family the other day about their son who wants to go into the armed forces and they don't really want him to, but there's nothing they can do about it except helplessly stand by as he makes a decision that may end his life. And father said to me, I may have to bury my son. If you're a parent, you know what that feels like, the thought of burying your child. It's just not right. Parents shouldn't bury their children. The children should bury their parents, but parents shouldn't bury their children. So you look on helplessly, and the only thing you've got is a hope and a prayer. Then I say use it, hope and pray that he wakes up. Statistically, one out of three people don't like a person on sight. Any person. It doesn't matter who it is. One out of three people just don't like you on sight, just because of the way you look. They don't know anything about you. You don't have to open your mouth. You don't have to smile. You don't have to do anything. On sight, one out of three people don't like you. Now, notice the one that you pick. And see if you're eager to hear bad talk about this person. Take a person that you don't particularly like. Now ask yourself, are you eager to hear bad talk about such a person? Well, your heads are nodding like those little bobble toys they put in the back of cars. Yes. Well, good. Then you've observed yourself. And there are other people out there whose heads are going, no, no, not me. They obviously haven't observed themselves. Because this work says it's in all of us. It's in every one of us. Because life put it there and we have ignored it and hidden it and lied about it and made other pictures of ourselves of these jovial, generous, happy, wonderful people who always do good things and always say nice things. And so when we scream and yell and cuss at somebody, we're telling them that we're telling them nicely. Accepting such input with excitement is feeding your psychological tummy nasty stuff, and your mind can't grow on that any more than a child could grow on bad food. Unpleasant thoughts, hearsay, make a very noxious food. Esoteric teachings guide us to filter everything the five senses offer us to eat. Everything. We must use the higher ideas as guidelines for what to select and what to discard. Morris Nichols said, What is more easy in life than to whisper? What travels more rapidly than even light itself? His answer? Scandal. All of this is made possible because we fail to understand a person. Any person is many-sided. The worst people have many likable sides. If you miss this, you can't possibly discriminate. If you can't discriminate about another, it's because you have failed to observe your own unpleasant eyes as well as the better eyes in yourself. Oh, you may know the better eyes in yourself, but you failed to observe the unpleasant eyes with those better eyes. We just observe the better eyes, but we fail to observe the unpleasant eyes in ourselves. Well, what good is that? How you discriminate what you hear about a person and what you think about the person, as long as you take yourself as one person? If you take yourself as one person, you're going to take everyone else as one person. Seeing everyone as one person tortures everyone else. And it's a huge, great folly. It's foolishness. We're all many different eyes. What you hear about this other person may apply to some of your own eyes. But you won't judge another person so quickly when you see through proper self-observation what's in you. To understand what's in you gives you the power of mercy that comes only through such understanding. When you start to really see what's inside of you, it will give you the power of mercy. And the power of mercy is the power of understanding and forgiveness. It's a fool's folly to judge another person if you haven't judged yourself. You can't possibly be conscious of another person unless you are first conscious of yourself. Now, we all know that everyone on this planet is completely, absolutely, fully conscious of themselves. Just ask them they'll tell you. But a person who's begun to observe himself and a person who's really doing this work will tell you, no, I'm not conscious of myself, but I'm trying to become conscious of myself. No growth of being is possible without a growth of consciousness. It's impossible to grow your being without first growing your consciousness. It cannot be done. Mechanical being should never, ever judge mechanical being. It leads to hatred, which is psychological poison. Where do we start becoming more conscious? Become aware and stay aware you are not one person. You're not always right. You're not one permanent eye. If that's not enough for you, I can go on. As we are, one imaginary eye judges another imaginary eye. So we have all these imaginary eyes judging other imaginary eyes. Look at the world. Everyone is talking about everyone else. Everyone feels he's right and the other person is wrong. It's what makes this world go bump, ka-clunk, ka-plunk, boom, bang, rip, and all the other nasty things that it does as long as you take yourself as having real permanent eye, you will take those you judge the very same way. You will imagine that because you imagine you have real permanent eye, that they also have real permanent eye, and you will judge them and say that that is who they really are, when that is not who they really are, and that is not who you really are. Because you take yourself as a fully developed, conscious man, you take the other that way, and then you judge harshly, without mercy or understanding. This is the cruelest form of torture. You torture the other and yourself, because you think both know exactly what they're doing. This is very foolish indeed. When you begin to observe your many contradictory eyes, there is no such thing called I in your psychology. you begin to be able to practice mercy. You'll have it and you'll practice it. There are lots of people who have mercy, but it's all imaginary. And it's imaginary because they can't practice it. What they do instead is judge. They practice judgment, but they have mercy. Well, who is the mercy for that they have? Well, it's for themselves. If you have and practice mercy, you will not select scandal and gossip, hatred and violence with which to stuff your psychological tummy. I'll leave you with this last thought from Morris Nichol. He said, pray for the neutralizing force of the work which comes only through self-observation. And then you can forgive others and be more at peace. And as you learned in Vipassana, inner peace is your touchstone. You can know what you've eaten, what your internal tummy, what your psychological tummy has ingested by whether or not you have internal peace, real peace. Doesn't matter what's going on outside. Pray for the neutralizing force of the work, which comes only through self-observation. Then you can forgive others and be more at peace. You in what's part of a